Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. The goal of our podcast is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and to have conversations about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our 2023 sermon series, Exalted, Living in Light of the Ascension of Jesus. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Last week, we, uh, we started our, our new sermon series, Exalted. We're talking about what it means to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus. And last week, we talked about uh, Jesus's lordship, his reign, that he is the exalted and reigning king, the exalted and reigning Lord. And, and, and all through uh, the Old Testament, as the people were looking toward the coming of the Messiah, they were looking for someone who would fulfill three different roles, right? They were looking for someone who's going to be the prophet, the priest, and the king. And see, they understood each of these roles as they were, that they knew what a prophet was. They could look at people like Moses and Elijah in their history. Uh, they, they understood what a priest was because the priest was there, like Aaron and those who came after him offering the sacrifices in the temple. And they understood what a king was because a king, well, everybody had a king, at least uh, Israel did after Saul was anointed, and then uh, obviously David was that great king that they all looked to. But they were looking for this Messiah who would come, who would put all three of those roles together, which was something that no other person had been able to do. But they were looking for that prophet, priest, and king, and Jesus fulfilled all of that. That is true in his ministry on earth, but it's also true in his ministry as the exalted and ascended one. And so today, last week we talked about his lordship. Today we're talking about how Jesus is exalted and interceding. Now, what, what's that word mean, right? We heard it in the passage that Joanna read for us this morning. He's exalt or he's interceding for us. Well, at its most basic, intercession means to pray for someone else. But I just want to make a little distinction because there are a lot of times where someone will come up to us on a Sunday morning or, or sometime during the week and, and they'll share with us about something that's going on in their lives, tell us something that's happening, and we'll kind of pat him on the arm and say, well, I'll be praying for you. And we don't, right? I'm not saying that's all of us, but we've all been there at some point or another, right? Uh, we say, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then it's not until we come back to church the next Sunday and we see him walk through the door. We're like, oh, I said I would pray for them. Jesus, would you help so-and-so in this situation? And uh, right? That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about intercession. Intercession means really holding someone up in prayer, standing in the gap for them where they can't stand for themselves. It, it means being an advocate for someone, just like Jesus has been an advocate 
for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, John's writing and he says, but if anyone does, and he's just been talking about how as Christians we're called not to continue to live in sin. And here in chapter two he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Or as the NIV used to put it, it says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Right? We, we couldn't stand in that place for ourselves. We couldn't defend ourselves. So Christ steps in as an advocate for us. He speaks to the Father on our behalf. But that word advocate there, it's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit when Jesus is talking in John chapter 14 before he is arrested and betrayed and uh, crucified. He tells his disciples that that there's another helper coming, another counselor, another intercessor, another advocate, depends which translation you read. But the idea is that the Holy Spirit was going to come and do for the people what Jesus had been doing for them. What they couldn't do for themselves to intercede for them, to advocate on their behalf. You might be sitting here saying, well, well, why is Jesus interceding for us? If, if he's the exalted and reigning king, doesn't he have enough stuff to worry about? That he doesn't have to be focused on, on us and, and interceding for us? Well, well, it's part of that prophet, priest, and king thing. It's part of his high priestly role which we read about in in Hebrews chapter seven and in verses 26 and 27, Joanna read these words for us. Such a high priest meets our need. He meets our need for one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, the, the Jewish high priests who had, you know, they came and they would serve their time, they would, until they died, they were appointed. Unlike the other high priests, he does not have to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sin once and for all when he offered himself. It's this idea that Jesus, as our high priest, he acts as a mediator between God and humanity. He's the one who made atonement for us in offering himself and reconciled us to God. But he's also the one who understands our suffering. He understands our temptation because he himself was tempted and suffered If we turn back in Hebrews, just just a page to chapter four, we hear these words beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, 
yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that a comforting thought? Jesus, who rose, who's ascended, who's exalted and sits at the right hand of God, he knows what we go through. He understands what it's like to be human. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. He understands, he gets it. And as that perfect union of God and man, he's able to stand in the gap between humanity and God, right? He he was that perfect union, right? God could never reconcile us to himself without becoming human, And we as humans could never get back to God without him. He stands there as that bridge to span the gap. And as Jesus intercedes for us, not just because of a role he has, not just because he's the high priest, he does so because it is who he is at his very core, at his very nature. It's not just about fulfilling a role. And so we see throughout Jesus' time on earth, him standing in the gap for people. And then we can look at John chapter 17 to get an idea of how Jesus intercedes for us now, right? Because if he prayed in a certain way when he was on earth, I think we can draw some conclusions that he is, is praying for us in the same way, right? The same Jesus who lived and died and rose is the same Jesus who ascended and was seated at God's right hand and intercedes for us. So here are some words from John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying, and, and I'm not gonna read a whole long passage, but just some, some few verses from there. John chapter 17 I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. He's praying for his followers. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. He prays that God would protect us, to watch over us, to keep us from the evil one. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He was praying that God would make us holy. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Isn't that good news? That Even while Jesus was on the earth, he was praying for those who would come to faith because of the message of those that he was with. That's us, friends. He was praying for us. Even on the night that he went uh, to trial. I pray that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We haven't done so good on that one. But Jesus prayed that, that because of our unity, because of, uh, of the way we, we live together and love together, the world would know 
that God sent Jesus. You may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the Jesus that we follow. This is the God that we follow, right? A God who would pray for us, for our protection, for those who will come later, for our unity, for our sanctification. This is the God we follow. And and it's not just Jesus who prays for us, right? Romans, if we turn over to the book of Romans, Romans tells us in chapter eight that the spirit too intercedes for us. The spirit prays for us. Let's hear about what the spirit, how the spirit prays for us. Uh, Chapter eight of Romans, beginning in verse 26. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I'm gonna guess that in a room with this many people in it. I'm not alone in having had an experience at some point in life where I didn't know what to pray, where I didn't know how to form the words together to even offer them back to God. Yesterday was uh, Josiah's birthday. He turned 11. Crazy. But I'm not that old, right? Um, Anyway, he turned 11 yesterday. And uh, if you didn't know, Josiah is the only one of our boys who was born while we were serving in Uganda. He was born there in uh, the capital city, which is called Kampala. And we were in a hospital there. And we had a doctor who had been trained in uh, the UK. And, uh, but Josiah had to be born as a C-section. And so um, when he came out, he hadn't gone through the normal process uh, of birth and he still had some fluid in his lungs that uh, was, was keeping him from breathing properly. So he came out, he's a little purplish. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. But I know I didn't have the words to pray. I didn't even know how to form the words as, and I mean, the, the doctors put him on oxygen and all that stuff and you know, within 12 hours or so, he was with mom and everything was okay. But, but in that moment, in those moments, in those hours, there were a lot of prayers I prayed I didn't know how to pray. I think what Paul's telling us here in Romans is that in the midst of those situations, in the midst of those moments where we don't have the words, the Spirit's still praying through us. He's still praying in us. He's interceding on our behalf 
and on behalf of those we love. You see, it's by Jesus' own constant intercession that God is preserving us and upholding us, strengthening us against temptation, strengthening us so that we can continue to follow all that God has called us to, so we can be empowered to obey and follow. He's praying all those things that Jesus prayed for his followers in John chapter 17 and and enabling the work of his kingdom to move forward through the church, through people like you and me. He helps us in our weakness. When we do not know what to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. This is who God is. I think it's significant. It says that Jesus intercedes for us, the Spirit intercedes for us. God cares about us. How does this shape us in our normal lives? If we keep reading in Romans chapter 8, down in verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God is for us. He's on our side. He's working on our behalf even when we don't know even when we don't know how, even when we don't know how to join him. And as we read in uh, Hebrews chapter four, we can then boldly approach the throne of grace because we don't go there alone. We go there with one who stands as an advocate for us. And so you see, friends, when we pray, we're not starting anything. We're not coming to get God's attention. We're joining the work that Jesus and the Spirit are already doing. Every prayer we pray starts with Jesus. What what an incredible thought. A prayer doesn't cross your lips that Jesus isn't already praying about that situation. So when a spouse receives a diagnosis, before we even begin to pray, Jesus is praying for us. When a child is walking away from Jesus, Jesus is praying for them. When a friend loses their life, 
Jesus is already praying for that situation. And when we don't even have the words to form into a prayer, the spirit comes alongside and intercedes within us, praying through those cries of our hearts. Jesus, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And so if this is the Jesus that we follow, if this is who God is, and friends, I think we too are called to live an intercessory life. We're called to lift others up in prayer, to stand in the gap for others, whether they ask us to or not, whether we have the words to do it or not. We're called to be like the disciple Epaphras. Anybody remember hearing about Epaphras? It's not someone we hear about a whole lot. There's only three Bible verses in all of scripture that mention Epaphras. But in one of those passages, it's, it's Colossians 4, chapter 12. It's up on the screen. It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you and a fellow servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. We don't know a lot about Epaphras, but we know that he is someone who wrestled in prayer for the church in Colossae. He wrestled in prayer for the people that he loved. This is what he's known for. This is, this is about all we know. The other verses just say, he says hi, right? So this is the legacy and the testimony that Epaphras left. He's always wrestling in prayer for you so that you can stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Friends, we're called to be like Epaphras. We're called to be those who wrestle in prayer for others, to be mediators between God and the world, not to take the place of Jesus. None of us can be the mediator that Jesus was, but we're called to stand with him in the gap. So here's my question for us this morning. If Jesus is interceding for you, and he is, and you can boldly then approach the throne of grace to join Jesus in the work of intercession, who is Jesus asking you to intercede for? Who is he asking you to carry in prayer? What gap is he inviting you to stand in as a mediator between God and that loved one? This is who we're called to be. Because this is who Jesus is.